Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Are you a writer with a great screenplay just sitting on your desktop? Are you looking for written analysis of your work by experienced creatives? Are you trying to get industry professionals to read your work, but you don't know how to reach them? Then enter the Blue Cat Screenplay Competition. Created by veteran screenwriter Gordon Hoffman, the Blue Cat Screenplay Competition has helped unknown writers launch their professional careers for over 25 years. This year, the Blue Cat Screenwriting Competition will award $18,500 in cash, and everyone who enters will receive written analysis on their work and getting feedback on your screenplay is worth like a lot. The deadline to enter is October 30th, but if you miss it, you could still catch their late deadline on December 11th. Check them out on the social medias at Blue Cat Writers on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. So stop waiting to be discovered and send your feature screenplay, TV pilot, and short film script to Blue Cat today. And the deadline to enter is October 30th, but if you miss it, you can still catch their late deadline on December 11th. And you can use our code, all caps, B-C-H-A-R-D-23 for $10 off. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bussell, the founding host of the podcast. I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker. And my first feature film, The Alternate, is out on digital and DVD right now. I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life. And I'm currently focusing on one. I'm focusing on one project and it's Best Friends Forever horror feature. No longer am I going to detail the 5,000 films I'm in development on. I'm also a distribution consultant who does sales, and I used to manage Sundance's creative distribution initiative. This week, we welcome producer Laura Reich on the show to talk about my favorite film of the past few years, All Sorts, directed by Rick Castaneda. Laura talks about how they funded the film, how they played and premiered at Seattle International, and then their current path to self-distribution, which is really quite amazing. And after that, we play another round of the game. But Auric, what's going on in your life? How are you feeling? What are you thinking about right this second? Well, I uh, I just got offered to assistant direct another movie. That's the second this year. And I'm like, oh, geez, should I be assistant directing movies? Or should I just- For anyone who can't see, which is everyone, it's me shaking my head. No, say no, don't do it. Don't do it. No. <laughs> yeah, I turned it down. I mean, it's like, you know, it's just not worth it. Especially if like I have the chance to, to direct a movie, maybe in the future. It's like, I got to save that goodwill for my, 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 my day job. And just, you know, they already are cool with me taking time off to do things like this but to ad a movie it's not worth it it's like you know like the money is not good (laughs) the stress is terrible and it's not what i want to do with my life so it's like yeah not not lining up but there are other things i can help out with this movie so that that'll be good no just say no just say no No. to all of these things i like being involved i like doing these things it's fun i don't know what's so fun about being an online editor of a movie like why would you want to do that but i'm actually enjoying working with with mitch and his team on this movie now and you know it's like yeah it's it's manageable amount of extra work where it doesn't like is it control my life is it 
think so. I think so. I feel like... The, I don't know. We'll see. The past few weeks, this is all we've been talking about is like you being overworked and not this is not all we've talked about. We definitely talked about it last week and wanting yeah. to have a little bit more time for yourself, which I think sounds like a good, yeah, a good instinct. True. But I think I was complaining because it was my day job that was overworking me, not my other <laughs> stuff. Okay. But I guess fair. the day job, I don't know. It's a balance. I don't know. It's all crazy. If it makes you happy, then whatever. I think but- my long term, this is like my long term, like five to 10 year plan is to like not have to do a day job anymore. And then if, if that's the case, like doing things like, you know, being the online editor or even the editor for a movie would be great because that, that would be the perfect thing to do from home to fill in directing movies, you know, but it's yeah. like, that's like not, I'm not there yet, you know, but I, I want to build up that experience and build up that, the, that goodwill towards those roles now. So it's like when that time comes, when I can say goodbye to the day job that I love, you know, for day jobs. <laughs> If any of my, t- I know they, they're list, they listen to this. Some of the team, you know, I love my job. It's great. But I mean, it's not like the forever plan, you know? So eventually, if I did have the chance to, to direct movies full time, it's like, you got to have other things to do, you know, to fill in the time. Unless you're like, you know, the Jeff B- Betas of the world who can just right. direct movies and don't have to worry about it. But I mean, the, the fact, like getting to that level, it's like, I'm not holding my breath for that. I mean, you know, just to be able to direct a movie and get paid to do it, that like, that's like a big enough leap that I'm like, you know, rolling the dice on that one. So we'll see. But yeah, so I just, I just got the, I just heard about that. So I'm thinking, thinking about that. And then I'm working on my movie. I got another meeting with my team today about casting. We got some good intel over the weekend about the cast, but now it's basically like, okay, Mr. EP, we know, we know this information. What do we do with it now? Like, what is our plan? Are we going to try to go cast first or, you know, get a distribution, you know, commitment first? Like, which, which way can we go? You know, and it, and it sounds like we got one producer who wants to try to like get like a contingent agreement from the distributor first and then take that contingent agreement and bring it to the actors and then one producer who wants to get the contingent agreement from the the cast and then take that (laughs) contingent agreement and go to the distributor so it's like okay well sure god damn it like let's just decide what we're gonna do i mean they're both seem hard right but which one's harder it just kind of depends on the relationships that that our team has and it seems like we've got some pretty strong relationships with distributors it's like that seems like let's just get a letter from them come on people like let's just make this happen but i don't know no one wants to commit to anything so it's 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 like i think we're still in that you know that chicken or the egg situation that everyone's in first so forever you know so we'll just see we'll see what happens hopefully this meeting will will have some good decisions and some good next steps laid out but i'm also not holding my breath for that either because these things take time but yeah i think that's it oh i got kittens over the weekend that was exciting We have two kittens. We were supposed to only have one kitten, but I didn't want to go do all the driving and then take the kitten to like the the vet and all the things because it's not like a kitten from a shelter. It's a kitten from the street. Yeah. So like we have to like, you know, make sure to deworm it and do all the things that you have to do to make sure it's safe. Beth like organized the whole thing. She like found the place to take the kitten to the vet and like, you know, get the shots and all the stuff because they were like stray kittens. Like basically the story is uh, this kitten was run over in my, my, uh, it's like my friend's neighborhood. And then just these kittens came out of like into their backyard, like the next day. And they were like these little tiny little baby kittens. So like they think the mother was the one that was run over. 
and they had like these four or five kittens and they were just keeping them in their bathroom and they got rid of a few of them and they had two left and they have dogs so they like like they couldn't let the kittens out of the bathroom ever and they're not cat lovers really at at that house and so you know we were like oh we'll take one like that's that you know we we don't can't have three cats but because we already have a cat but we can take one and then right before beth left i left i was like please like if you can, like, let's n- don't bring home two kittens. Just bring home one kitten. <laughs> and then, of course, <laughs> the next text message I get 45 minutes later is, two kittens! <laughs> and I was like, okay, dear God. <laughs> wow, all right. Now well, because we you would just cats. be leaving leaving that other kitten there, right? I yeah, mean, that, all, that last kitten would be all alone. And they were brought out to her, and they were so cute. They were all c- sleeping together, all cuddly and stuff, and... There's a real thing about, like, you don't want to separate cats after they're bonded to each other. Yeah. And, like, they might be bonded. So, like, it was really the right thing to do. And then, of course, like, later that day when I'm, we're each holding a kitten, it's like, you, well, oh you God. certainly made the right decision. Because <laughs> if, if there was only one right. kitten, we'd be fighting over who gets to hold the kitten. But now we, like, at nights, we just watch movies with ho- each holding a kitten. It's pretty great. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the deworming process, the defling process, all that stuff takes a long time. So it's like, they're just living in our bathroom now. And, and basically, they're not going to be able to be let out for another week and a half. But we let uh-huh. Bibi play with them a little bit. And yeah, it's pretty magical. Babies and kittens together. It's a pretty <laughs> tough mix to, to resist. So yeah, and, and on top of all the other things that are going on, kittens. But yeah, how are you doing? What's, what's new with you? This is going to sound minor, but for me, it was a very big deal. I'm at inbox zero right now. I was at inbox 26,000 a few days ago, and I just started like archiving and deleting crap that I've kept. I I went through an email purge and I even I went through promotions. I went through social. I went through the inbox and I got down to zero. That doesn't mean I have nothing to do. I have 175 emails in my to do inbox, like my little labeled inbox folder. But in terms of like, I've cleaned everything out. It's all empty. It's It's like the most amazing thing in the world. And I feel lighter and I feel better. I feel like I just purged like old clothing or old books or something, you know, you gave it away to someone who does, who, who who's going to use them. No one's going to use these old emails. I could just delete them. Wow. You don't. So wait, a couple of questions. So you don't ever search yeah. old emails for information. You just delete them and you're done with them and that's fine. No, no. I had kept them 26,000 emails in my inbox instead of oh. pressing the archive button. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've been archiving or deleting if it's really stupid and I don't need it. Like all of my gold star emails have been sitting in the promotions tab for like eight years, right? Like I don't need a discount on a med spa from seven years ago. I don't need that. So yeah, I deleted. I deleted and archived. According to my email, I, I I do I do need it apparently because I have I, I don't I have not done this yet. <laughs> this is like a great it's idea. Fantastic, I, really like I should do this. Highly recommends. Highly recommend. Wow. And the other thing that's on my mind is last week I said you know I think I'm landing on this one project for next year. I am absolutely landing on that project for next year. I am. I've gone back to producers of my first two features, the people that I think who, who may say yes, not the ones who are going to laugh me off the planet and run away, but the ones who may want to still be involved. I'm wooing them to get to jump on board the project and finishing the deck. I have someone doing a, bu- 
budget and, and schedule right now. I'm talking with new people on Twitter who expressed interest in getting involved. I have to set dates, but this horror feature, Best Friends Forever, is going to be made next year. Wow. It's happening. I don't have any doubt. I'm very, very excited. Who knows who's going to be in it? Who knows what the final script is going to look like? But right now we have a script that's good enough to send out to gather the team. And that's where we're at. Woo! Hooray! Yay! Woo! So do I do have some, some questions about this. Inbox zero aside, <laughs> that's amazing. So what at this point, what do you, what's stopping you from setting dates? Is it just that you don't have any money raised or you just don't feel ready yet to set dates or what? Oh, I just the- didn't do it. I just, I literally haven't done it. There's nothing stopping me. I think I just have to look at a calendar and pick a Monday. But do I? Like, I, I want to test all... presumptions of setting dates too, right? Because you know, this is my whole thing is like, we don't have to make a movie the way we made the past two movies. Oh, yeah. So it doesn't have to be a Monday. It could be any day. It could be any day. You're not like, yeah, you're not going to do it in a big like 20 day, 15 day sprint. You're going to do it over different periods of time. Do you already have your locations? No. Is that all? No, not at all. Okay. No. I mean, can you shoot in Los Angeles and not have to travel anywhere or does it have to be somewhere specific? Well, there's a lake. So that would be the primary variable here, right? Is And I also want it to look a little woodsy and a little bit desolate. Idle wild. You know, that's only right. an hour Well, but I don't think away. that's in the... But it's not in the... What oh, is it? Demilitar- yeah. DMZ of Film LA. So, it's trying to figure out... <laughs> is, <laughs> like, is, does it exist within that? Uh, you know? I don't know. I haven't done any of that. I no, but this is fun. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I, I'm gonna look at a calendar. Observatory. You could go to you could go to parts of that, and there's there's trees. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there's not probably enough trees, but maybe there are. I don't know. <laughs> I know Griffith Park very very well. I think you're right. There could be something possible there. No, no, nothing's stopping me. I'm gonna go to the calendar. I think it's most likely gonna be April or May at this point. I mean, it's already October. We it, there's a lot that needs to be done. But in terms of locations, that's gonna go on the list of development pre-production tasks. But I think right now what I needed was just like a kick in the pants to say, we're doing this. Wow. And I feel that now. I feel it like with a lot of conviction. So you're shooting for first half of the year for a spring, summer. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I want... There are some things that I, I won't talk about on the podcast, but I have some like dead personal deadlines I've set for myself and I want to make this movie before that. And I think those deadlines will need... Basically, I think I need to do this in the next year from now. Mm. And I like the idea of late spring, early summer because of the weather and because it gives me a certain amount of runway up until that point. Like I want to do it as soon as possible. And so like my compromise to myself is like wait until late spring because then you have at least half a year to prepare. Yeah. That's like, that's a good, a decent amount of runway, you know, to like do everything. I mean, yeah. Do you feel like the amount of money you're trying to raise for this, is it comparable to what you've raised before? Or is it way more? Is it less? You know, like what, what kind of hurdles do you expect with that part of it? It's going to be more because what I've been telling my producers is that it's really important to me that they get paid. Mm, mm -hmm. Like that's really important to me. 
So I think there are things you get away with in micro budget where people are like, they know they're not expecting a day rate if they have certain roles or they, they sacrifice those day rates or I sacrifice a day rate. You know, it's like, I would love childcare covered for when we shoot. Like I would love <laughs> my producer to be paid. I would yeah. love, and you laugh, but like, why not? I don't think it's that crazy. If I'm not taking a director's fee or if I am, you know, like I want to fundraise enough money where I, I feel like I'm compensating people appropriately. And that's not going to be the budgets I worked with before. So yeah. I'm thinking wow. most likely it's going to be 200, 250, something like that. And it's probably going to be a shoot that's spread out over several weeks. So, or to several months. Can I ask you a personal question? A personal production question? We'll find out. <laughs> sure. What What do you consider to be an appropriate and fair rate for a key crew member? I would, I mean, I'm putting this nervous so this is being recorded and I'm not going <laughs> to live up to this, right? I would like at a bare minimum to pay everyone at least... 400 a day. And wow. I know that's not a lot of money. Like I'm aware that there are people who work for 800 a day, whatever, like much higher rates, but I I usually am paying people 200 a day, 150 a day, 200 a day, you know, stuff like that. I'd love to double the rate that I'm paying people in terms of crew. That excites me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I so I've been working on a budget with the idea of three fifty as the crew key crew member. Yeah, right. And boy, howdy, is it hard! It uh, really makes it uh, challenging because uh, you know, like especially if you're gonna have to pay everyone through payroll and you have to add the twenty five percent on top of that for the crew. It <laughs> like boom. Way up there. It's like yeah. <laughs> already the budget for the movie just with crew alone is like double what, what I w was on my movie or, or not even, or even more oh, yeah. than that, you know? And it's like, wow, you know, it just gets to be expensive. So good on you. If you can get 400, that's great. And I feel like people like for us, you know, in the commercial world or whatever, like people are like, Oh, wow, that's nothing. But like for people who actually work on indie movies, I think people don't understand that that's actually a, a pretty decent like rate for an indie. Yeah. You know, yeah, and my thoughts may change months down the line, and I might think that I'm being incredibly cheap. You know, like who really knows how how I'm going to yeah. react to that in a few yeah. months? And I think it also could be a world where it's like, well, maybe I'm only shooting half days, and maybe it's a two hundred dollars for a half day, and that's mm. what it is. Mm. I'm open to any sort of arrangement, but what's exciting is that I'm saying all these things without this like hypothetical tone. Now it's like, well, let's just put it in the budget, and then let's fundraise mm. for that amount. Let's have a yeah. conversation. Let's ask everyone what they require and let's let's figure out a situation where everyone's happy. And so that's that's what we're doing, Alric. That's what we're that's doing. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited Thank for you. you. That's really great. Fantastic. I love the energy. I feel like this is the energy that is needed in order for movies to be made. Like this is the energy yes. I had when I made my movie. I'm sure energy that you had when you made your movies. It's like this is the energy required from one person on the production. Usually the director could be a producer, but one person has to have this energy in order for it to happen. And it's really yeah. great to see you having that energy. So super stoked. Amazing. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but now let's talk about Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> and now give us your money, people. Damn it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Don't forget to support us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. 
We also want you to check out Jambox.io, which is a new royalty-free music and SFX company with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. They offer customized plans to fit your needs, which is pretty fabulous. Head on over to Jambox.io. And without any more delay, here's our chat with Laura Reich. All right, Laura Reich, producer of All Sorts. Can you give us elevator pitch for your film? Yes. All Sorts is a comedy about Diego, who's a down-on-his-luck guy who gets a new job at a place called Datamart, where he discovers an underground folder filing competition and embarks on that journey in this sort of bizarre office where strange things happen. I love it. How many days did you shoot the film? We shot principal for 18 days. So it was like three six-day weeks. And then we filmed it up in Washington State where Rick, the director, writer-director is from. And then we did, I think, like three pickup days in LA, maybe four, but like some weird smattering of shots and then two real pickup pickup days in LA. What can you speak of with regard to the rough budget? We are a micro budget. So like under 200K production was much less than that. Rick has always had a production company while this movie was being made. So there's lots of like time we've used down cycles for employees to work on it. And that's kind of not factored in like all there's lots of our time and people's time that, you know, we're we haven't like assigned to this project, but it's definitely work that's been done. So the budget's probably actually, you know, like if you were to figure it out, it would be a little bit higher than that. But yeah, hard money out. How did your team come up with the idea for the movie? So Rick wrote a series of short stories right after graduating from college about basically he couldn't get a job in filmmaking, like in in the biz. And so he was doing temp work and sort of like in these super depressing places and started to just write these short stories about escaping them. And so, so he was writing these short stories to like escape the mundaneness of his life. And then he revisited all of those and compiled them into a script for all sorts. And I got on board in 2018 when we filmed. And so that was maybe like 2017, he got me the script and then we filmed in early 2018 and we just released two days ago for our T-Pod streaming. Well, that taps into our next question, like how long you spent working on the film from inception to release. So it sounds like sometime before 2017. uh, So at least four to five years. Is that right? Do you want to add any more color to that? Yeah. So we filmed in like February and March of 2018. We were working through 2019, submitting to festivals. And then the pandemic hit and we just... Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Sat on the film, basically. So we had been planning to do our festival release in 2020, and then we... We're still sitting on it, but we had, since we had submitted to festivals, 
SIF, Seattle International Film Festival, got back to us in 2021 to program us like from our old submission from 2019. So that was like a little bit of a surprise. And we we're like, do we do it? Do we keep waiting? And by that point, it was like, I guess we're doing it. Like it had been a long time that we'd been in the pandemic at that point. So yeah, so that started our release. And then we had various bumps along the way. But yeah, more five years. And then compared to all the other projects you've made, how difficult was it to make this one? I mean, it's a feature, so it was difficult. It took a lot of time and effort, but I don't think there was anything like it. It felt like every indie project, there was just more of it. I guess. How did you and Rick meet, and how did you know that it was an effective collaboration between you two? Yeah, so I actually started working with Rick on his first feature, Cement Suitcase, when it was releasing for streaming. I got brought on to do the like in-house marketing for it. So basically, what I did was it had like a wine theme. So I ended up emailing like hundreds, maybe thousands of wineries to see if they wanted to program the film as like a member night, and then also just like emailed every Rotten Tomato critic I could find. And so from there, I started working for his old production company, Psychic Bunny. You know, I had no film experience whatsoever. I had a degree in business, hence the like marketing entry point. But I w- was friends with filmmakers, was interested in filmmaking, and ended up shooting a feature film over weekends over the course of a summer. And I think that like cut my teeth on producing, and so that sort of spun me up with Psychic Bunny and doing more production work with them. And I guess to answer your question, I don't know. I, Rick and I just like it works, <laughs> you know. And I like I like that he wants to make weird stuff, you know. Like there's always a little tinge of something weird, and I just I'm like, yeah, why aren't we doing that more often? Yeah. And how is it balancing like the corporate work with the cinematic work? Like, do you guys have a process that, that to make that happen? Or is it just like whatever is the most in demand? Like, you need money, we'll do money work. We, we can work on the movie, we can do movie work. This is something we struggle with all the time. And we talk about all the time because the reality is like, we're both people who care a lot about everything we do. So like, if there's client work, we're basically always struggling to prioritize the creative work. I think there is obviously that need, like we do need client work to keep the company open while we make these other like passion projects. But I I think we wished we would care a little bit less about client work and prioritizing the creative projects while doing the client work. I say this all... Well, I'll give a little context to my question. To the people who don't know, All Sorts is like one of my favorite movies. Like it was my favorite movie of the year I saw it. Like I talk about it to everyone. Big, big fan of the film. For true transparency, they're also clients. But I don't see this about all my clients. I really don't. It's number one on my list. But looking at the project with a more discerning eye before it was made as a producer, you're like, this is kind of an absurd workplace comedy. We don't have any A-list names. You have a wonderful cast. Knowing how hard it is to pro- predict the future of a film's distribution, especially in the micro-budget space, why greenlight this one? Why was this one so important to make? I don't know. I think it was like, I think it was just Rick was like ready to go. And he was like, do you want to dive in with me? And I was like, okay. And we talked about going down like a lot of different paths with this, about getting the talent, about, or like, you know, trying to source someone who could secure the funding for the film. 
And I think at the end of the day, we decided to just go for it. And it was a little bit like, you know, like, so we, Rick mainly funded it. We had some private investors. We did a Kickstarter for Post to help with like getting us through Post. It was a lot of, and we filmed in, in like a smaller city in central Washington where like just the community was really excited. And so there was a lot of like support from that community. But yeah, I think it was just like at some point, sometimes you're like, I we I don't want to wait anymore. And I was like, yeah, I'm ready to jump in. We'll make it happen. Also, thank you, Liz. That means a lot about <laughs> loving all sorts. <laughs> I won't ask this other question, but I wrote in our outline, why is all sorts so good? <laughs> Which I think is an impossible. I just want you to know it comes from a place of love. That's all. That's amazing. Thank you. And what were some of the, the big challenges of making the movie while running a production company? Like, were you guys on set also dealing with clients or were you able to somehow block off time in order to do that? Sorry, I keep on nailing in on this, but it's like something that, you know, I see a lot of people who want to make movies with their production companies, but they just never can because of this reason. So I'm just curious, like, how did you guys solve it? We, so back then that was Psychic Bunny and there were partners at that company. And so we just did the movie. Like it was like, we weren't paying attention to any client work while we were up in Washington for that three weeks. Like we were just doing the project, but that was like, also, I think their mentality, right. They started that business with the idea of supporting everyone's like personal projects. And we did make a lot of like psychic bunny. And I think that that's also our intent with vibrant penguin is like, if someone here wants to make something, we're going to support that effort. But at the end of the day, like at psychic bunny, we made all sorts of like little strange projects. So it was, and it was like, if you were at the point where you're like, I'm ready to do this, then like the partners were, you know, they'd be like, okay, go make your movie. And then you'll cover us at some point in the future. Well, I want to give a little bit more context for, so you're mentioning vibrant penguin right now, but I don't think anyone knows what that is. And also why is the name so familiar, like similar to Psychic Bunny? Like what is the nomenclature naming device situation going on here? Yeah. So that's Psychic Bunny. That was the Rick and a few of his like cohorts from USC founded that company. And I think that was just the name they all didn't hate for that one. And then basically what ended up happening was like one of the partners is the head of production at Lego and one went on to be a USC games professor. So they all kind of just ended up going their their own ways. And then Rick started Vibrant Penguin. And I think I think he was maybe like had worked at Psychic Bunny so long that like Vibrant Penguin just felt right for the next stage. And I know he also kind of thinks like, you know, the contrast between like penguins and vibrancy, you know, usually they're just black and white. So there's sort of that like bringing that color into something that maybe isn't always colorful. But Vibrant Penguin is a production company. So that's if people are like, what are what is she talking about? <laughs> so going into, you know, I, I know you said that you guys put up a lot of, of your own money or to make the movie, but when you were talking to uh, equity investors, how did you pitch them? And like, what was the pitch process? And what were you, what was kind of your angle to get them to say yes, to put money into this movie? These were all people that Rick had a really good relationship with, or I had a good relationship with, like it was friends and family. And also like, you know, they understood that we're going to do our best to make their money back. Like that's always the goal. But like, 
I think we're always very, like, very upfront, you know, and as every indie filmmaker should be, that, like, there's mostly the best chance that your film doesn't make money, you know? So that was, that was really the reality of it. It was people who were willing to support the art and, like, wanted to see the film get made. And now it is, like, you know, I mean, I think every producer's goal is, like, to make their, their money back. So that's, that's the phase we're at now. Well, I know a lot about the distribution journey of this film, and I think a lot of our conversation could be about that if if we wanted it to be. Could you talk... I mean, getting into Seattle Film Festival is a massive boon to any project. Can you talk a little bit about the journey distribution from that point? Yeah. So, SIF, like I said, was a surprise, a good surprise. We were thrilled because we're a Washington-made film. So, premiering in Washington was like perfect for us. But we basically had like everything else was paused. You know, once you start at festivals, that's like you kind of got moved. Like, you know, you have a year of festivals, you know, then you're going on, then you start your windowing release, theatrical, if you're going to do it, streaming, all that good stuff. And so we were basically what I, we had used all our budget for festivals submitting in 2019. And so I just reached out to every festival I'd ever screened in, every festival Rick had ever screened in, every festival anyone on our cast or crew had ever screened in and asked if they would give us a waiver to submit the film. And so that's what I did or anyone, like any group I was in where they're like, we're looking for submissions, you know? So that was our approach there. So we didn't have a huge festival run. We did like maybe five festivals, got accepted to a couple more, uh, got invited to a couple. The big one for us was Raindance, which we had a really great time at Raindance. That was huge for us. And then we got invited as well to the Los Angeles International Latino Film Festival, La Leaf, here in LA. So that was great because it felt like we had our Washington premiere, our like international premiere and then our LA premiere, which I think like, I don't know, I'm very proud of where this film went festival wise. And then of course, after SIF, that's when we got connected with you, Liz. And like for us, that was, that's what sealed the deal for us. I think just in like feeling like we were going to be okay. And as you know, there have been some bumps along the way there, but at the end of the day, we decided to just self-distribute. We're working with a service provider to put the film out um, on streaming platforms. And we just launched on Wednesday, Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and Vimeo. Vimeo we're doing on our own. We just put it up on their VOD. And then we also worked with another producer who helped us with hotels and airlines so we are in hotels right now, you know, and that's been, you know, we're, I don't think we're going to really make any money from that, but it's cool. We're thinking about it as like a marketing objective, like hopefully people are seeing it. And we've gotten, like, we have gotten a few people reaching out, be like, I watched your movie in a hotel. This is awesome. Where can I find it? Which is delightful. And then we just found out that we sold to airlines. So I think like Emirates and Qatar. So, I, you know, that was a huge, a huge get for us. And that, that sale, even though, again, we haven't seen any money, we've tried to do the math on how much of a cut will actually come back to us. That's what we're using for our marketing for this self-distribution TVOD to pay for, you know, press outreach and Facebook ads and all that stuff. Wait, so how are you paying for the, for the ads? You're using like the, the, the airline money as that, or, but, but you said you don't know what the money is. Is yet or we they told us the full contract amount but we you know like there we, there's like 
two people taking a cut, we're guessing they're going to max out whatever the, their like expenses are. So we're thinking, uh, you know, how much of that gets back to us. So that's the number we based our like marketing expenses on. Okay. Nice. Awesome. So since you're doing the self-distribution route and you're going through all these platforms yourself, do you get more real-time data on what your sales are? Or do you still have to wait like a whole quarter until you know like when, what numbers you've got through iTunes and all the other places? Yeah. So we're still at the mercy of some of the platforms reporting when they feel like it. But our service provider does have a backend and like we can see live. I mean, we don't know how live they are, but like iTunes is reporting, we think instantly. I think Amazon just kind of tells you whenever they feel like it from what we can tell. Although we uploaded Rick's first movie ourselves to Amazon. And so that we do get that we get direct feedback. And so that was like a decision point too, if we should just do it ourselves through Amazon, since we already have another movie up there, but we opted to go with the service providers so that all that is coming through one stream and it's, you know, but then we ended up doing it on Vimeo and Vimeo is instant. Like every time there's a sale, they send you like an email, a daily ingest email. So we do have, I think, more data than the average, you know, filmmaker. What I think or what I hope other filmmakers will take away from your story is one's ability to do a lot of this work. I mean, you talked about reaching out to wine companies for that first film. It's like, I think I talk to filmmakers every single day and so many do not even think to reach out to small businesses or community organizations, especially in the fiction film world. This is something that is done on the regular with documentaries. Can you, I know that you also booked your own theatrical and it's that like chutzpah y'all have that is very exciting. So how... How did you do it? How do you just book your own theatrical? We reached out to theaters. I mean, we we screened first in Washington, theaters in this Yakima where we filmed, which like they were, everyone was just so awesome. But we just reached out and we're like, look, we filmed there. Do you want to screen it? That's kind of was our approach with Washington. And then we focused mainly on indie theaters, although we did get in touch with Regal Cinemas and one other big chain that we were like talking to their corporate. But we don't we don't have the money to get rated. You know, it's like a couple thousand dollars and they won't screen a movie or they they were like, we, you know, like until you get rated, we're not going to screen. So we were like, I guess it's just not worth it. Or like, we just can't, you know, like that's been the decision point along the way a lot for us is like, do we want to spend, where do we spend this money to get us the furthest? And so that was one where we were like the amount, do we have the bandwidth to like go down this route and spend this $4,000 or do we want to spend that $4,000 somewhere else? But yeah, it was basically just, you know, I mean, this is like, and this is the same for press. We did a lot of our own press outreach. Like in the UK, we've made, we make our own press releases. We ask every festival for their press list. We send our press release out to everybody on their press list. You know, we're available for interviews where we have our press kit that we send them. So like, you know, do everything that the, the big, the big kids are doing, but like you can do it yourself. So that, that has been our approach, very like DIY when we don't have the funds and then, you know, bringing on people when it is like a market we know is going to be hard to get into. But yeah, you can definitely do a lot of it. I mean, that's also like one thing I always, always, always like think and say is like, let everybody else tell you no, like don't be the person telling yourself no, because other people are more than happy to do it. So this whole theatrical release and like doing your own theatrical is like a huge issue, not issue, like discussion point, I guess, among amongst indie filmmakers like is it worth it like are you gonna is gonna get any money back 
Did you get enough press back? Like, is it worth all the money? And like, or can you actually make money? What was your, now that it's all said and done, like, what was your takeaway? Like, do you feel like it's something that you would do again? Did you make any money from it? Did, was there any huge landmarks for your movie that came from the theatrical that you can talk about? Yeah. So we did make a little bit of money from our theatrical. Most of the theaters were willing to program. And then we, we did all the press outreach for them, you know, and at a certain point you just kind of get into the swing of things. We really did best in Washington because that was sort of where we had the most like connections and, you know, enthusiasm. And then it was just a matter of finding theaters that were willing to work with us. And we just prioritized any that were willing to like split ticket sales over like a rental fee or something. So we didn't make a lot of money and all the money we made, we just cycled right back into press basically. So it was helpful for that. But we kind of thought of all the theatrical as a marketing opportunity. Like it was our poster up in a city where people were walking past it for two weeks. They saw it next to their favorite blockbuster they were going to see. And maybe now they'll like, you know, they always say there's like seven touch points before anyone will pay attention to you. So hopefully that's one of their seven touch points. And now they'll rent the movie because they recognize the poster. That was sort of our like thought process behind this over being like, this is going to make us money. I'm saying this very carefully. Do you want to talk a little bit about the hills and valleys of the distribution process? I mean, I feel comfortable. I guess I could ask a, a safe question, which is, what is your sense of the landscape for a truly independent, non-genre film? I mean, it's a comedy, but a non-hard genre film. How, what kind of a shake is it going to get from the marketplace, I guess? Does that feel comfortable? Yeah, I would say it's really, really bad. That's my sense <laughs> of how it is. <laughs> and I'm not saying that to like discourage anyone, certainly, but I just think that's the reality. Like I know, and right now, honestly, I go from being like, okay, this is it. We're going to do this. Like what's, we just need 1% of Washington to rent our movie, you know, like that's it. 1%, we can do that. And then the next day I'm like, five people are going to see this movie, this blows like there's nothing you can do about it but no i do think like it's i think yes make your indie movie if you can get the people and you like the people don't do it with people you don't like but like it's bad it's just bad and it's hard and it takes a lot of time so yeah i don't know <laughs> That's and you're talking about direct distribution, but I mean, in terms of our experience with more traditional distributors and their reaction to the film, which clearly is a wonderful film, was it reflective of an overall problem in the marketplace for you? Or did you think it would? Did you read it as just specific to your film? I felt like it was like the most common thing we got is like, there is no name in this. So we can't do anything with it. Right. And that's like, I feel like what it came down to people not like really even considering it because they'd see who the cast was, even though, like you said, our cast is amazing. Like there's, they're so good. Of course, maybe I'm biased, but like, you know, like it's great. And I, I, we know it's a good movie. Like, and like, again, I know having a filmmaker say that is maybe a little <laughs> insufferable, but, and yeah, and it's just hard to get anyone to pay attention to it. And I think that's part of, you know, like, having those festivals sort of give us attention. That was a huge piece for us. You know, I think that got us 
a lot further than we would have gotten without it. But yeah, I think it's, you know, they just want to see that there's a name they can bank on. And did you get offers from distributors, but they were just crappy offers and you turned them down? Was that it? And like, like how many of those did you get before you realized that like you just had to go direct distribution? So we got, we didn't get any minimum or we did get one place that offered us a minimum guarantee and it was not very good. And if we took the minimum guarantee, our split was much worse. And then it was basically everyone else was just this, what they were offering us in split. And I guess we decided to just at the end of the day, like we knew if we went with one of these distribution companies that was basically going to get us on the platforms, we felt that we were going to have to do all this marketing and press and all of that was going to come from us anyway. You know, and some of these places are honest about that. They're like, we're not going to do anything for you. We're going to get you on these platforms. And the benefit of them is that they can maybe get you on a few more platforms than just a service provider can. But we were like, what's the point of like, diluting the splits we get if we're going to be the ones doing all the promotion for this anyway. And I think that's what made the decision for us at the end. It sounds like shooting outside of Los Angeles was actually pretty pivotal to the project and made it really unique. Are you taking that into consideration for any future projects or what are you, what haven't we talked about that benefited the project because of its non-LA, non-New York status? Yeah, I think that was a huge factor. And I think Rick, Rick shot his first movie up there too. So I think that was really for him, that was like, he's like, I'm going to go back there to film again because it's just... You know, like it's, you know, everyone in LA has like big fatigue. I don't know, like our office is downtown. I still get excited every time something is filming down there, you know, but like the average Los Angelino is seeing filming all the time. They kind of don't care. Everybody's working in the industry. So going to like, uh, you know, somewhere that doesn't usually see that is, it's just fun. Like people are more excited. You have a little bit more fun filming your movie and they're more willing to like, you know, in LA, you still ask for favors. You're still like, Hey, do you, do you know anyone who has a restaurant? Can I film in it? You know, but the difference is like, it was just so much easier to get a yes. And also there's just so much like there's like we found an office building to rent for very little money. It was by the airport, funnily enough, but the airport was so like, I think it had two flights a day, so it wasn't an issue. (laughs) But yeah, it was just like, I think that was a huge, huge, huge factor. And I do think it like it made it a very different experience than I think filming like in LA. It felt like in some ways it felt it was it was just a little more like community based a little more like we're really making something together over like we're making a commercial piece. Yeah. Nice. What's your plan for marketing? Like, like how long are you going to like do promotion on your movie? And like, do you have certain benchmarks that you have to hit in order for you to continue doing marketing? Or like, how, how are you setting that whole thing up? Yeah. So we have that it's a moving target, but we like based on the, the airline sale, I put a budget together. So we're going to spend that money. I think our plan is to, you know, we're kind of trying to figure everything out. And like I said, we're doing it by ourselves. So like Rick trying to figure out Facebook ads, which are horrible. And, you know, like figuring out Google ads, and we're trying to find like an SEO person who can help us because we're just like, you know, there's just some things that like you don't have the time or bandwidth to learn how to do and you're never going to be able to do them very well. But yeah, our plan is to like the, the budget I made basically has us doing like a one month spend to see where we get. 
holding some funds back for, and then like, depending on what's performing, maybe we redirect funds to that the rest of the way. And then we held, I held some money back for an AVOD release for when we go for advertising on demand. So that's like a second marketing push for the film. But I think we'll try to do, well, right, like I said, right now, like should be when we're spending all the, all our money because we just released, but we, you know, we're like, we don't want to spend a ton of money and then we've done like a bad job of these ads. So I think our like big push will be a little bit longer this month into like the end of the year. And maybe we'll do a second one in December during the holidays when people are like at home watching movies and hope they're willing to watch a non-Christmas movie. But yeah, that's sort of our approach. We're a little trial and error at the moment. So you were talking about the community aspect of making the film outside of Los Angeles. And I'm also hearing that financially, as of right now, things could change, but financially right now, you're not rolling in it. So are you still looking back at the experience as a joyful one? And what what parts are you... And, and, and not just as a joyful one, but like one that is substantiated by the reaction to the film like is that were the was the means worth the end i guess kind of question and what do you want to protect most of all for your next film yeah i definitely think it was worth it i think like making this film was fun going through the process was fun everyone we met was incredible like liz i wouldn't know you if we hadn't made this movie i wouldn't be here right now talking to both of you if we hadn't made this movie so yeah there's just been you know and there was i will say like as we were getting into distribution i think like you i was like this is the worst and then i don't know what happened it just like switched i was like this is just part of the process like let's see what we can do you know it like became a little bit of a like a competition challenge to be like let's you know whatever let's see where we can get this for the next one i don't know like i have a couple projects that are you know in development and i don't really know what how how we do it you know it's like i don't know if i'd want what i would definitely make another movie like i made all sorts like the one i made before all sorts was even scrappier and i would probably do that again even though if you asked me right after i made it i would be like no way yeah i think i think at the end of the day like i want to make movies with people and and sort of like we talked about in the beginning there's like we're making this commercial work so that we can make movies so we have that ability to well we do really care about the business side of it we have that ability to kind of prioritize the art a a little bit which i don't know if that's great either right like people need to make a living doing this too but we've found this sort of balance for now do you feel like the process to making all sorts is a sustainable repeatable process like, could you go back to the same people who put money in to, to all sorts for the next movie? And is there more money that you could put up of your own or to make the next one? Or does it have, does something have to change in the process in order for the next movie to get made? Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think we could probably go back to our investors. I think they would support the process again because I think what we really promised was that a movie would exist and we delivered on that the movie exists they were part of the process and you know obviously it'll be way better if we make our budget back that would really seal the deal but i don't think that's what really anyone was expecting to get out of this movie specifically 
which again, I don't know, like there's, we could probably talk about that forever too. Right. But yeah, that's, I think, I I think we could, like, I do think it would be probably, it would have to have a a good chunk of self-funding too at some point. But, you know, our hope is too, with like the company that maybe we do have, like with the profits, any profits that goes back into maybe making a film or something. And this pop question, would, would Rick direct the next movie or would you potentially direct the next movie? Are you producer only? Like, or is there other directors that you want to work with for the next movie? Like, what's the plan there? I think Rick would probably direct, like, write direct movies, but I think, like, under the umbrella of Vibrant Penguin, like, I have other projects I'm working with other writers on and, you know, documentary projects as well that are, like, in development that, you know, I think would be just me from Vibrant Penguin working on them. But I do think, like, if Vibrant Penguin makes another narrative feature, it's probably, like, written and directed by Rick. My last question is, can you just talk about what you love in producing? Like what, what makes you happy as a producer? Yeah. I, well, I think being a producer is I'm very satisfied by the problem solving of it. But I think at the end of the day, it's very satisfying to work with someone who has a vision and to like help them execute that vision. And I also think like the sort of mystery of it, you know, like there's a little bit of like, what are we going to get out of this? Like, how are we going to, what's going to come out the other side? you know like that's kind of delightful and I think like there's been so many there's been like different directors I've worked with and like watching them in their process and like seeing how they approach things and what they come up with and what we end up with on the other side is just yeah it's it's awesome like I like supporting the art people's artistic visions I guess amazing well I don't have any other questions this has been fantastic so let's just go right to the final six I'll start what's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now so I knew the questions you were going to ask. And I was like, I am going to be terrified if I'm not prepared. So I looked and I think it is actually a, a short film I made with Rick. I think before that I'd only done like web series and stuff. So I'm pretty sure like the first movie is Bear Story that we, I produced, we filmed, like, it's just a funny little. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Office like this guy telling a story. And I think we filmed it because we had something from another shoot from like a shoot we were doing. I think we had a military outfit. We had a World War One wardrobe and weapon. And so Rick wrote a little short and we shot it in like Elysian Park, full gorilla style. I don't know if I'm supposed to share these details, but, but like we rented a phone booth and had it just like dropped off in the park and like filmed it on the side of the road like i don't know it was kind of wild it was fun though and it's a cute little short and what's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received yeah that's tough i will say this was like earlier on i think was really helpful there was this group called awesome assistance have you guys ever heard of that there was this facebook group when i was starting out i got added to and it was basically like assistance like every assistant in la was in this group 
it did end up getting shut down by like a studio because I, I think this is the lore a script they think a script leaked through that I'm not sure if that's true but it ended up getting shut down but there was all these assistants talking and I just remember early on like you know when you're on bigger projects with bigger people and there's a lot of like you know people get mad right and so one this one assistant was just like all I say is understood you know if someone's like getting in your face or something and to me that was like I took that and I was like yeah you if, if something goes wrong if someone needs to complain and you get a lot of complaints as a producer a lot (laughs) it was like just this lesson of being like just say like you know like got it like i hear what you're saying you know and you don't need to you don't need to necessarily apologize because i think you know you don't need to necessarily like have a solution right away it's just a matter of being like you've been heard and i don't know that really stuck with me and it was really helpful like earlier on i think yeah that's probably a great response because like when someone's really that upset and frustrated like anything else you could say will will make it worse <laughs> Just saying that's like, okay, you're winning. (laughs) What's the worst filmmaking advice you've ever received? Yeah, I I don't know if I have a specific, but I think when I think about that, it's always like whenever, and this is maybe clear from what we've been talking about this whole time, whenever anybody tells you like, there's, that's the way something is done, you know, I'm like, no, that's the way you did it. That's what worked for you. Like, and it should definitely be taken into consideration. But anytime someone's like, look, this is the way you have to do the thing you're trying to do. I'm like, no, it's not. But thank you. I'll take like, it's in consideration. What's your goal as a filmmaker? I mean, I think my goal as a filmmaker is to just make really cool, entertaining stuff. Like at the end of the day, that's what I want to do. I want to make art with other people who want to make art who are nice and collaborative. And, you know, maybe that's a little like, I don't know, altruistic. But at the end of the day, that's, you know, what my goal is. If you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would tell yourself? Yeah, I think I had a lot of fear early on. So probably to just like be a little less afraid of everything. And like, you don't have to be perfect before you do something, right? There was this idea that like, before you could take the next step, you had to like, know you could do everything perfectly. And I think like filmmaking is like, basically every project has its own problem that you're never going to have done before. So like, you would just never do anything. So kind of just like, you know, try to be as prepared as you can, but go for it. Final question, is making movies hard? Making movies is very hard, but it's worth it. You did it. That was easy. Fantastic. I was seriously like, I have no idea how to answer any of these questions. (laughs) Well, tell people how they can see the movie. Yes. So the movie is available now on Amazon, iTunes, Vimeo, Google Play, and YouTube. If you're at a Hyatt or maybe some other hotels, you can probably watch it there still for a while. And if you're flying Qatar Emirates, <laughs> theoretically, it's there. No one has shown us yet. But and we're well, I guess this might be too late at this point, but we do still have a theatrical release in Bremerton. So if you're in Washington, there will be there for a couple of weeks screening. There's a really cool theater there called the Roxy that agreed to program us. They're kind of refocusing their programming and they yeah, they agreed to have us there. So we're really excited about that. What do you remember about our chat with Laura? I remember that Laura was super organized and that she had like really thought out the whole plan for her movie with the, with 
Rick. And I really liked their whole approach to making their movie and the way that they focused on the way that they, you know, put it ahead of all the, the, you know, whatever the corporate video stuff that they were doing at the time, which again, it sounds like they were kind of in a different situation as a, a company, like, you know, with different partners when they made their movie. But I still really like the way that they manage their time because I feel like that's very different than what a lot of people, including myself, do, where we just try to like, you know, whatever all trying to make it happen all at once. But like they, you know, took a lot of time off just to make the movie. And I think that was really smart. What else do I remember? I remember it was interesting to hear about like the, the decision to do self distribution and then like that whole road. And mm-hmm. I feel like with the, the whole process, it seems, seems rather attractive, you know, like, I mean, I, I liked my experience with my launch with my distributor and everything. Like it was, I don't know what the numbers are and I don't know when I will know, but I feel like it should be a while. But I do think there's something to to be said for at this budget range to just do a self-distribution plan. Because since you're going to basically be in control of your own promotion to some degree anyways, even if you do have a PR firm through your distributor, like you're still going to be the one pushing it down the line, you know, after the, 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 the release. So might as well do all that hard work and then, you know, take the lion's share of the of the profits rather than like having to split it or not even split it, but like share it with anyone else. It's like, especially with all those fees and, you know, the marketing budget you have to pay back. It's like, it's just not worth it. You know, like you should just, I think when you're at a certain budget level, you should just do it on your own. But yes, yeah, so that's what I took away from that conversation. What about you, Liz? What was your takeaway? I've said it before. I'll say it again. I just love this movie. I really want to encourage everyone to see All Swords. It's just was such a delightful film that really just brightens your day. And what I took away from the conversation is just a reminder of how much I love Laura and Rick. They were one of my first clients as a sales rep, as a distribution consultant when I left my day job, my jobby job. And th- these are the type of people that you want to work with. I mean, like the fact that they're like, oh, we should do our own theatrical. Well, we're just going to email all the theaters in the country and we're going to book our own theatrical and we're just going to, you know, coordinate that and we're going to organize deliverables for theatrical. Oh, we need press. We need publicity. Okay. Well, we're just going to contact all of the the newspapers and contact. I mean, it's just like they're, that this can do attitude they have is exactly what you need in indie film distribution. And then to back up the fact that they had a great film. When I take on clients, I don't watch their movie beforehand because for me, it's actually about the clients. It's about what are their goals and can I help them? And then the film is almost secondary because distributors don't really watch the content. And my job is to make the content, position it as good as possible, to make it look as enticing as possible. I'm not here to change the content. I'm here to help them as filmmakers. And this has been fairly unique. I mean, I like a lot of my clients' films, but it was unique in that I signed on to do the film and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I have the passion too to advocate for this film that that organically came out of watching the movie, which was just very pleasant. It was very nice. Good film to work on. I feel I'm just very aware of the fact that now it feels like I'm insulting my other clients and I don't mean to do that. They have all everyone has a great movie, Ulrich. Everyone has a great movie. So you don't you don't make it a point to watch the movie before you take on a client, but but when did you decide to watch this movie? When people hire me, that's when I watch the full oh, film. You, oh, I mean, oh, you watch it after you're hired. Okay, I got it. So it's like beforehand. Yeah, it's go. part of my fee. Yeah. If right, I don't right. do that, then I'm spending like 20 hours a week watching movies. Mm, mm, yeah. And I'm not sense. being paid for it. 
And then the other side of it is, it really isn't about the movie for me. It's about the team. It's about working with good people who have their own goals that I just want to try to support. Because, you know, let's say they make a movie and it just doesn't hit the mark. That's okay. Like, who am I to say I'm not going to work on your movie because it wasn't as funny as it should be or it wasn't look as good as it should be? That's not my, I'm not a critic. I'm here to support the filmmaker. And with all sorts, it was just like pleasant. It was just a pleasant, lovely experience to work with them. Yeah. And we all know that like, you know, that that thing with a movie being good, are you connecting to it? Like, A, it's completely subjective. So like everybody's going to have a different reaction to it. And then B, you know, there's plenty of movies that do super duper well that, you know, don't have that. So, so to your point, it's like, yeah, maybe it's, it's something else about the, the movie or about the, the, the team, the people that like actually make it sellable, not necessarily just the quality of the film. Fascinating. But now it's time for the game, Auric. Do you want to tee us up? Yes, the game. I'm very excited. I get to answer a question this week. This is thrilling. Liz. Yes, but can you do it better? (laughs) Do it better, Ark. Okay, tell everyone what the game is. Okay, fine. So no, 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 no. Do the voice. Do the voice, Ark. All right. This is the game. They do it? No? No. The the game. That's better. The game. What did I do? I, I, you know, I'm doing all these voices for my daughter's story time. Like <laughs> my voices are all over the place. Like, you know, is that the cow? Is that the alligator? What, what, what voice am I? The game. Is that better? That's better. No, that's pretty. That's really good. That was, that was, that hit it. That hit the mark. Okay. I, I'm happy to tee up what the game is. So... <laughs> Every week, Eric Toms, our producer, major Hollywood celebrity, Eric Toms, sets up a indie film quagmire, a situation where a director or producer in the indie film world is faced with some sort of problem, and he asks us what we would do. As a reminder, Ulrich has not seen this question, and so he's he's going into this game blind, and here's the question. Okay. You're a filmmaker and a parent. For the sake of this game, we'll say it's a daughter, and her name is Fibiana. Or a boy named Fallen. (laughs) You get a call from a producer at a major studio offering you a directing job for a huge film. However, the film will shoot in Australia and you will be away from your family for over six months. Your partner and your child will not be able to visit you on set. Do you take the job? And then Eric goes, what do you do, director? What do you do? All right. Do you take the job, Ulrich? So I can't. They can't visit. And they can't come with me. I have to go by myself for six months. I think that's the presumption. I mean, uh, I think we could read into it and assume you may get a day or two break or something like that. You're in Australia, so it's going to be tough to travel is what I'm guessing why he picked Australia. Yeah. And it's a big directing job with a major studio that would change my career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think here's my, my process if this happens. Sit down okay. with Beth, talk it over. And figure out like what the financials are. If it's a studio movie, assuming it's going to pay really well, like is this going to be well enough where she doesn't have to work for six months and, and we don't, we're not losing money. And it's like, no, this is definitely a, a big thing. And is it a, a project that like I like enough where being working on it for six months away from my family is going to be fulfilling and exciting? And do I see the path to being a full-time director on the end, after the end of this movie, 
in a realistic manner where it's like, this isn't just a one shot that this is the changing of my life moment that could like lead to, you know, the life I want to have, you know? And if all the answers are yes, and I get Beth's sign off, then yes. But I wouldn't do it without Beth's sign off. If, if she was like, no, I'm not comfortable with this. You just have to wait for the next opportunity. It would suck, but like, I'm not going to do anything without her sign off because the family is the most important thing in the world. And, you know, six months away is terrible, but there is lots of video. There's lots of ways to connect. It would definitely be a huge strain on us, but you know, for the right project and the right opportunity, I think it would be worth it most likely, but it would definitely be a hard thing. And if I was to have to give an answer Within two hours, if this is one of those things where it's like, you have a limited time offer, like you have to decide right now, I probably have to say no, because I couldn't say yes until I talked it over with, with, with Beth and we probably would need more than two hours to decide, you know? So yeah, that's my answer. It's a really tough thing. But yeah, I mean, I would have to be ready to say no if, if it doesn't meet the criteria, if it d- doesn't pay enough or if it's not the right project or, if it if there's not a clear path to a career at the end of at the project, yeah. you know. But what about you? How do you deal with this? I didn't think about it as to, as extensively as you, but I have a pretty dramatic answer, <laughs> and it's no job is worth me being away for six months. Like that is mm-hmm. my perspective. That may be very foolhardy for me to say, and uh, I may come to regret something like that to have that put that out into the world. But my perspective is like, what movie could be more important than me spending six months living with my kid? Like I, and I, I get everything you're saying. And I think really confronted with the same question, there's probably wiggle room, right? For me not to be so black and white about it. But my instinct was like immediately like, no, I didn't even think about it. I just said no. And that may be like the death of my career. <laughs> that perspective may be the right. death of my career. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really does come down to the thing. Cause like, let's say it was like, you know, what's a silly thing? A Hot Wheels movie. It was like a Hot Wheels movie you were making that you were hired sure. to, to direct. That would be way easier to say no to than the next Superman movie. The next Superman movie, I'd have to say yes to because there's, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. With all the, I would keep all the caveats, but like, I mean, Beth is such a huge Superman fan too. We're both huge Superman fans. I would, I would imagine that it would be really hard, but I, I could imagine that she would sign off on that. You know, I do think that in the reality of the world, outside of, you know, this question, that most times if you were hired on a studio movie and it was a big enough budget, which it sounds like this situation would be, there would, would be no problem to bring your family with you for six months, you know? Or they'd be coming to visit on off days or something. There'd be some right, kind of allowances something. made. Or you get to see them on the weekend or whatever, even if you couldn't see them during the, the shooting days. There's be something, right? You know? But I do respect Eric's question. I think it's a really great question. And I do think that these situations probably do exist where you, you would not be able to do it, you know? And it's, it's definitely a really hard one, you know? But I think it all comes down to what it is and, and really to be, you know, just to be fucking frank, how much money they're offering. If they're offering, if it's a $2 million deal to go direct a movie for six months, 
it's like, yeah, I'm doing that. Like, we as a, as a family unit, like, we would come together and be like, yeah, you mean that we don't have to necessarily work? Like, like Beth can just quit her job and not have to work at all if she doesn't want to, or I could even take a year off and not even, like, and just work on movies and not have to worry about work for two years. It's like, these sorts of things, it's like, you, you think about the long play, right? It's like six months of sacrifice for this future. It's like... That could be well, totally worth it, you know. But also, if you say yes to this job and you do a good job, you're going to get another job that's probably similar, right? Right. And you're essentially on a path of being away from home, doing these big studio jobs. I love the way that you think, because I have the same thoughts in my head all the time of like fantasizing about my future career and then like all the problems yeah. that would come and I'd be like, oh no, if yeah. I direct this movie, then my life will just become this and it's so terrible. <laughs> and, like, and I feel like we've talked about that before too, right? I, 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 some, we've done, I've listened to us talk about this before because I listened to the episodes after they, you know, I know you don't always, but like, I listen to everything we say <laughs> and then it like That's and then good. I obsess I'm glad that over it. Does. <laughs> <laughs> but I think my perspective is yes, I wanna make I wanna have resources, I wanna pay my crew, I wanna tell bigger stories. Of course. I'm not scared of that opportunity. That sounds very exciting. But I don't want to be on a pathway where I'm away all the time. Like, yeah. that's not a pathway I'd like to go on. So, it, it's, is this a one and done situation for a job that may jumpstart maybe a TV directing career instead of this studio feature career? Like, is there a world where I can stay close to home and not cannibalize what could be a really big career boost? Yeah. Those are the questions I have. Well, that's why I worry about TV directing because, like, I feel like in my mind, TV directors are always flying around doing jobs all over the place. You right. Know? And it's just it's like, like, that's, that's really scary. hard. That's, yeah, that's time consuming too. I don't like this question, is basically what <laughs> I, what question. I, what <laughs> no, it's well, a really good question. I don't, I don't like it. Make, makes me think about difficult things. That's all. Like, like my whole dream for myself is basically to be in a situation where I can work from home all the time on movies of some kind and then go away to make a movie for a month to two months once a year. So like I'm unavailable or busy for one or two months every year and that's my life. And then the rest of it, I'm at home with family, you know? So like if you take a movie that's a six month commitment that you're away from, from home, but then it sets you up to have that life a year or two down the line, you know, it's just like, that is so attractive, you know, but it's also, like you said, it has to be with all the the right things. Like you've got to have spouse buy-in. If you don't have spouse buy-in, it's not worth it because it could ruin your marriage. And like, that's way more important than any kind of future because the future, you know, that we currently have is great. You know, so it's like, why, why ruin that for a terrible future where like the version of that where I get divorced is terrible. It's like, it's totally not worth it. You know? sure. So it's, it's like, okay, well, you know, I think it's those sorts of things you have to weigh. Like if it literally was like, like I looked in, in, in Beth's face and I could see her 
being like, this is not good, that even if she said yes, because, you know, that does happen, it's like, then you have to decide, like, okay, it's not, it's not the right thing, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. Very tough. And I mean, and, and we should be so yeah. lucky to have these problems in the future. Like, if we are so lucky to have to be ans- an- asking our spouses or answering these questions for ourselves, I mean, we would be doing really good. But yeah, yeah. I guess something that everyone has to, I mean, if it, you know, these are the kinds of things you're going to have to face at some point, maybe if you're successful enough, you know, so. Yeah, but digging in just one last time, it, if you're working on this production and the production is not allowing you to be with your family, I don't want to devote that time <laughs> to that production. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm reading into this question and I'm like, I don't want to work for these people. They're not letting me see my family. No, thank you. And then the yeah. other side of things is like, I understand your ideal plan, but my ideal plan is to never be away from my kid until he wants me to be away from him. And so like... That's uh, all you care about. That's the number one. That's very sweet. Yeah. My number one is being with Colin. And so he's he's my hero. So and he's and like I've ignored him all day today because I've been, you know, purging my inbox and I feel horrible about that. You know, it's <laughs> stupid shit. But I, I want to figure out a, a production lifestyle where... I get to see him the same day I shoot somehow. I don't yeah. know how, but which I don't think exists and will exist in this studio space. And I'm just going to have to work outside the system. I don't know if that's true. Like, I, I kind of feel like, you know, if you get to a high enough level, it's like, you know, you, you could bring your kids with you. Like, what's the big deal? Like, you know, you're going to put you yeah. up in the house anyways. Like, just have your family at the house and you're going to be working like an insane amount of time and like, you know, way longer than the shooting hours or whatever. But at least you get to be with them in the mornings and the or night. Or put them the to weekends. bed, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I feel like, yeah. I don't know, that's my ideal situation, like where I could just bring my family with me wherever I go, you know? Yeah, yeah. That also might not line up with my, with my family's wishes either. So, it's like, you know, <laughs> right? give or take. But yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. I feel like these are the kinds of things that all filmmakers who are parents are going to have to deal with and answer for themselves at some point, you know, one point or another. And, you know, I, I am like more convinced now than ever that it's not impossible to have both. Like, I think you can have the filmmaking career and you can be a parent, like at any level. Like, I don't think you only need to be at like the whatever, the big top level to do it. I think you can do it at the indie level too. It's just, it could be challenging. That's all. But yeah. I think it's realistic. Eric, great question. Look at the conversation <laughs> you, 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 you spun out of that one simple question. Fantastic work, <laughs> sir. If you want to, you know, suggest your own scenario for the game, we've had one listener scenario so far and it was fucking lovely. So I'd love another one if uh, anyone has any that they want to, you know, share us. You can also send just simple questions or comments or suggestions to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com along with your the game scenarios. Or if you really like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes, which would be fantabulous. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. We had a huge problem with, you know, our lovely editor Jeff was gone moving for a while and like I completely dropped the ball on uploading episodes to YouTube. So we're like so behind on YouTube episodes right now. I will take the time at some point to upload them all. I don't know when, but we will get back on track with YouTube episodes very soon. You can also check out the International Screeners Association, the ISA. They're a lovely organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, and contests. And so head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. And then big, big thanks to Laura Reich for coming on the show. How do we find Laura? Did they reach out to, to us or did you reach out to Laura? 
yeah, Laura and Rick reached out to us because of the because their film is out into the world. And so everyone awesome. should go and rent it today. Well, Laura, thank you. And, and Rick, thank you so much for reaching out. It was a really wonderful conversation. I haven't seen the movie yet. I can't wait to check it out. Uh, it sounds really cool. I just heard that there is actually a thing where they do Excel spreadsheet competitions. So No, it's a it's a filing it's a filing I, I know, competition. I know the filing competitions in the movie. Excel spreadsheet competitions are real thing. Oh, in, in real, real life? In real life. Wait, what? Thing. I heard about that a few months ago and I was like, what the fuck? So the fact that they made a, 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 a filing you know, competition movie, I thought it was very, very cool and very wow. interesting. So I wonder if the the physical filing version of this also exists. Probably not. Excel sheet spreadsheet. <laughs> I don't know. They don't make any sense to me at all, either one of them. But I mean, I can't <laughs> wait to see this movie <laughs> because it it, it it sparked my interest when I heard about this real. You know, when I heard about the movie after I heard about this real. Thing. But anyways, very cool. Big thanks to our editor Jeff Ryman for doing the editing, and big big thanks to our producer Eric Toms for being completely awesome and writing a really really great question for the game this week. That was fantastic. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. TikTok it and ask your permission. We've sure. never TikToked anything, by the way. Literally, it's never. of TikTok. <laughs>